This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash half off to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hey everybody, this is episode 168 of the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm the CEO of ThoughtBot, Chad Pytel, filling in for Ben Orenstein, who's on vacation. And with me today are Star Simpson and Lila Winner. Thank you for joining me. Hello. Star, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us. And Lila, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So how do you two know each other? Oh, good question. Lila, you better go. That is a good question. Um, So... I feel like I've known Star for several years now, but kind of at a distance. Like we we met through mutual friends probably four years or, and years ago. Yeah, years and years ago. I mean, not like a decade, but a good four or four plus years ago. Oh, and you know what? I just remembered it. Makani. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how right. we know each other. Yeah, we know each other because we have mutual friends who used to be or are still involved with this um, wind turbine startup, <laughs> which is probably not the explanation you're expecting. And it's uh, a little unusual, but that's basically how it happened. And I, I also remember um, having a conversation with Star in the kitchen of the co-op I was living in several years ago. And, and we were talking about Hawaii because star is from hawaii and i have some hawaii connections so there's that too true story and i bet at this point everyone who's listening is saying who the hell are these people oh yeah (laughs) Um, no no it's 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 great so star you you are you have many claims to fame i think yeah maybe but maybe the most one that people might know you for is the invention of taco copter. That's true. Um, people might know me for that. Um, back in 2011, I guess before uh, drone delivery was popularized by companies, you know, that today seem to be making it quite uh, quite real. Um, I thought it was an inevitable part of the future we were headed towards and thought I would make a website to memorialize the idea. Um, lest, and this sounds funny now, but like lest I forget um, so some friends and I made the tacocopter.com website. Um, I should note it was always intended completely seriously to be something that would like definitely happen. We're convinced it okay, was going so to be part of the future. Not, okay. But, but it was a joke at the time. It was never a joke. Okay. It was never a joke. <laughs> no, no, no. no it that's was thing. 100% a thing that you believed would happen. Yeah, no. Um, it was a hundred percent a thing believed we would, uh, that I believed would happen. Um, yeah, there's some funny backstory about uh, why exactly <laughs> um, people got confused and thought it was a joke. But of course, saying, you know, I made a website to sort of like commemorate an idea so that I wouldn't personally forget it right. um, is a little difficult to translate. Right. But you didn't form a company and actually, actually work on the taco actually, delivery or did you? Um, in 2012, uh, 
we set about um, doing a bunch of taco delivery experiments. Um, but as has been noted, like widely, uh, the regulations around drone delivery have always been somewhat unclear. They're starting to clarify now. Um, but personally, I made the decision then that I didn't really want to go into business and sort of be like spinning in a legally unclear zone for potentially years and years. Right. I'm sure we could have a whole episode on drones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, run, <laughs> run. <laughs> to the extent that you are familiar with the industry, I'm I'm curious to talk a little bit about what the current state of those regulations are. Oh, gosh. Well, um, sure. So uh, in short, right now, if you would like to fly drones for commercial purposes, like filming uh, or maybe, you know, taking videos of people's houses or whatnot, um, you file for an exemption. It's called a Section 333 exemption with the FAA. Um, and this is the sort of exciting conversation where we're talking about, like, what regulation you file for you know, an is exemption it, with the But it's the, the FAA, like, so it's federal. Yeah, it's so the it's FAA. Everywhere. And um, that gives you a clearance with some caveats to like fly um, between, you know, above 200 feet. Um, you get a, an automatic COA certificate of authorization, I think it stands for. I completely forget that acronym off the cuff right now. And, uh, you know, you still have to follow all of the rules. Like, you know, you must stay um, outside of five miles away from an airport um, and things like that. But then it allows you to say charge money for services provided by a drone. Such as delivering a taco. That's not quite quite legal yet. Um, I haven't seen any uh, Section three thirty three exemptions, except for um, to some of the larger corporations that are right now ex- exploring uh, the drone delivery possibility. Right. So, um, for personal purposes, for non commercial purposes, can you just fly up a drone? You can. You have to stay away from airports. You can't fly while there are you know firefighting operations going on. Like that's pretty common sense you'd think um that's a big topic right now in california um you uh must stay below 400 feet and there was actually kind of a legal debate recently about whether or not you could fly over people's houses california was going to pass a law banning that they the governor declined to sign the uh the bill so fortunately that's not a law because that'd be really hard but um you know there's a lot of debates still ongoing about what the laws will ultimately look like lala have you ever flown a drone um, I think I have, I mean, okay. So I've, I, I sound so uncertain that it's possible I have not, but I'm pretty sure my, I have a, an uncle who's a drone enthusiast and I, I think I flew a drone with him once, but it's not a very big part of my life. It's, it's not something that I, I spend very much time thinking about. As, as robots go, they're great. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I think they're very cool. That's, um, you know, that's the extent of my involvement with drones. I I bought a like $35 micro drone on Slashdot Deals last year. And I didn't realize, but you you fly it like a helicopter. And I've never done like a remote control helicopter flying before. And it's like the opposite. You turn the opposite way that you expect and it's complicated. And it was so small that it just, you know, I I needed practice with it and it flew all over all crazy. And so uh, we did this in the winter in the house. And then <laughs> I was flying in the house in the winter and I said, okay, it's spring now. We can go outside and uh, give this a shot outside. And we went outside and the kids are all excited. They've been watching. They crash into walls all winter. They said, finally, daddy's going to fly the drone. And we go outside and I turn it on and it goes up into the air. And then a gust of wind takes it. And... <laughs> shoots it up into the air hundreds of feet 
no. and off into our neighborhood somewhere. And it was completely oh, no. gone. And the children were devastated. Oh. So we had to walk around the neighborhood looking for the drone that I knew we weren't going to find because it was just gone. Oh, no. How long did it, it is so sad. How long did it take them to come to terms with the fact that it wasn't coming back? Uh, a couple hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, we walked around for a little while and then we went back home and then we were like, OK, let's let's take another trip around. And, and we asked the neighbor to go in the backyard and look. But we we all came to terms with it eventually. I was just as heartbroken <laughs> as they were. Yeah. And then uh, that was it. That was our that was my drone experience. Good story. No, no. I mean, I, I, I hear that, and I, and I, I feel that there must be a second act. There's, you know, going yeah. to be a. Yeah. If you know, only there was a taco weighing the drone down, <laughs> it wouldn't have been able to blow oh, away. Oh so God! Easily. You know, the number of people who've demanded a taco from me. Uh, <laughs> tacos are coming, I swear, <laughs> one day. So, from your illustrious career uh, developing drones to deliver tacos, w- what do you do now, Star? <laughs> Um, well, right now I mostly write software, which is very exciting. Yeah. What, what do you write software at a company? I'm currently actually uh, at a company called Cloud App, which mm-hmm. is pretty neat. Um, you know, they say uh, the best conveniences are you know the ones you you know stop noticing. Um, Cloud App is a way to share screenshots. Basically, yeah. um, you take a screenshot, it uploads it to um, the cloud. You get a link. You can like send your friend a link. It's quite convenient way to uh, share what you're seeing, basically. What do you um, what do you program in on a day to day basis? A cloud app. Mm, um, well, you'd be familiar. Lots of JavaScript. <laughs> um. So I, I guess that's a good way to bring us one of the, to one of the topics that got this whole episode started, which is you came up with an idea for a meetup. Oh, uh, yeah. How long ago? Oh, I think the first one must have been about two thousand nine. Yeah. Oh, and, six years ago now. Yeah. A while ago. And that meetup is? It's called Programming Languages I've Been Meaning to Try but Haven't Gotten Around to Yet. Um, and it's known by its acronym, which is unpronounceable. Oh, I don't think it's unpronounceable. I heard the episode of The Bike Shed with Lila on it. I have, I have really committed to pronouncing it at okay. every possible opportunity. I just say it in... Uh, I encourage I encourage everyone to come up with their own uh, completely legitimate way of pronouncing the acronym. Should they choose to say it out loud, I have myself at some times uh, referred to it just as unpronounceable. <laughs> I actually was. Um, it's funny. I I got coffee with Catherine Fellows, one of the stalwarts of this of this meetup. She's like a really key member of the community. We were getting coffee on Monday, and I I tried to like say oh are you going to the are you going to the Plymouth Bugatti on in Oakland <laughs> stars laughing <laughs> are you going to the one in Oakland on uh the 25th and she, and she was like what the what the what <laughs> and I had to say it like four times uh, yeah I've heard I've heard Plibum Tagati I've heard well mostly I've heard people just give up but uh mm-hmm. you know, just yeah, whatever you want to do is good yeah I gave up and I said the whole thing and she was like oh oh yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So the meetup is pretty self-explanatory when you use the full drawn-out name. It's programming languages that you've been meaning to try but haven't gotten around to yet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
And so that I assume was the original idea. Like, Hey, let's get some people together and try something new. Yeah. Yeah. It all started. I was actually still a college student at MIT doing uh, electrical engineering and computer science. And I, Decided, you know, that I thought it'd be really fun to get a bunch of people together and say, like, let's all try something new, right? Like, everyone that I knew at the time sort of had a thing that they'd been meaning to learn, but, you know, the opportunity to really dive into a project and spend a couple hours on it, uh, you know, it comes up rarely unless you set set the time aside for yourself. Um, and I just had this outlook, like, it'd be a fun thing to do, and it'd be more fun if we were all doing it together. Mm-hmm. And did you have something that you wanted to work on then? Well, I, what was the first language that you've been had been meaning to try but didn't get around to yet? I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, six years ago, I mean, gosh, uh, I couldn't recall. I do remember that someone taught a little seminar on how a programming language called, I don't know if I can say this, uh, called Brain uh, was Turing complete and like gave a whole tutorial about how you'd like, you know, write programs in it uh, and proved the Turing completeness. That was pretty neat. Um, yeah, I mean, once I decided that it was a thing I wanted to do, um, I took on the responsibility of like finding places to do it, um, spreading the word, getting people in Cambridge, uh, which is where I was at the time, to know about it and to show up. Um, and uh, did that a couple times. I did a bunch of traveling in that period too, so that's why the first couple of Plovin de Gatti's ended up being, you know, Cambridge, Boston, and then there was like one in Iceland. Uh, the model, I think, you know, the idea of it at least has spread to Germany. Like, it's a very portable and fun thing to do. Um, I really like contributing when I travel and go somewhere new. So, you know, it's a fun thing to organize. Also, because it tends to be just sort of like a one-day event, it's pretty lightweight um, and a lot of fun. As I, I think Layla can attest, I can can't tell, but I think I see the, the gleam of excitement in Layla's eyes. Yeah. yeah. So, how did you fun. get involved? So, I got involved because I remember at one point I saw somewhere on the internet, probably Twitter, I came to learn about this event somehow, and I thought it was a really cool idea, but I couldn't make it to the one that I saw advertised wherever I read about it. It was probably in Iceland. I was, you know, it was in Iceland. <laughs> it was like not at all convenient for my schedule. Um, so what ended up happening was like some time elapsed and I just like was trying to keep an eye out and um, wait for the next one. And then it just didn't seem to happen. So I decided that if it wasn't happening, then I should make it happen. So I reached out to Star and... I think we did a hangout just like talking mm-hmm. about but you already knew each other somewhat. yeah we already knew each other yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true but that said Layla's initiative is exactly what I had in mind because they're you know it's intended to be this like lightweight portable thing that anyone can pick up and do so that yeah. you know initiative to create a new plug and and lead one and start it um, was sort of always how I imagined or hoped it would uh, spread yeah, yeah yeah and the website is it makes it very clear that anyone should feel free to organize and host one of these events. Yeah, so what's the website so people can go there? Um, it's very <laughs> simple. Uh, get out your pen and paper if you okay. still have that. Um, P-L-I-B-M-T-T-B-H-G-A-T-Y dot com or more easily remembered as programming languages I've been meaning to try but haven't gotten around to yet, the acronym <laughs> and nice. we'll we'll link that in the show notes, which you can get in your podcast player now or at giantrobots.fm slash one six eight. So 
people don't need to type. In. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it sounds like that the format's pretty relaxed. It's happening on a weekend. Has it always happened on a weekend? Oh, you know, no. It's um, it's happened on. You know, it's best if you have at least, I think, like five hours or so, mm -hmm. but it's happened on evenings. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the most recent one we did at ThoughtBot was on a Friday evening, and it was shorter than the other ones we've hosted in the past. And um, I don't like I think longer is better, as Star says. I think we ran ours just for three hours on a Friday night. Um, and that worked. I think it worked pretty well, but I think people also felt like they could have used another hour yeah. or so. Yeah, I recommend a minimum of around five, which might seem like a lot, but mm -hmm. I mean, um, to really give someone the chance to absorb and understand something new and like get into a project, you know, it takes a little bit of time at least. Yeah. 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 And so do people start the, does everyone gather at the beginning and sort of share what they hope to explore that day? So typically no. Um, and I know Lila, you can speak to the ones that have happened at ThoughtBot in specific. Um, but, uh, I'd say two things about that in particular. One is that people walk into the event um, with some idea in mind, usually, of what they want to do. Um, and the most organization I've ever really uh, encouraged or applied there is uh, for people to make a little card that says, you know, this is the language I want to work in. I want to work in Haskell. I want to work in Erlang. I want to learn Python. I want to learn Ruby. I'm going to do it, you know, today. Today's my day for that. Um, and people will self-organize. The best mm -hmm. thing about that is uh, you end up with groups of people sitting together who can, you know, learn with each other, ask each other questions. And sometimes uh, it's organized to have a demo at the end. But other than that, it's uh, quite casual to just, you know, walk in, set up and set about going to work. Yeah, that is pretty much exactly the way we've done the meetups here at ThoughtBot. I think like what my co-host and I will do is kind of set up a couple tables near the entrance. And as people come in, we'll say like, hey, you know, here are the name tags, fill out a name tag. What are you thinking of working on today? Oh, you want to work on that? Well, you know, if, if, if you want to work on Go, um, you know, those people over there are learning Go. Or, oh, you want to work on Rust? Well, nobody else is working on Rust, so why don't we make you a sign? And you can go park yourself somewhere and, and we'll just like kind of direct people interested in Rust your way. So that seems to work pretty well. So do you have the demos on some of the, the, at um, the end? We not? haven't had demos, but what we have done is um, just spent like 15 minutes at the end where everyone goes around and, and talks a little bit about what they learned, what they're mm -hmm. working on and what they learned. Mm -hmm. So what have you learned about fostering a community among the developers? The best thing I've seen uh, and the thing I love the most about uh, the event is that everyone who approaches it is the beginner at whatever they're doing that day. Yeah. And so you end up with a very egalitarian feeling in the room. Of course, it is pretty explicitly not a teaching event. Like occasionally people will offer to give a lecture, but I don't really like that dynamic. And I've always turned people down who wanted to, you know, stand as a teacher in that room because mm -hmm. the idea is for everyone to come in and learn something new. Right. Um, of course, you're more than welcome to like help anyone who would like that. Um, but um, I think that that's the the primary thing that I've observed as being a unique quality of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what what Star said about the kind of expectations around skill level and how mentorship is expected to work in that environment. I've also I find it really energizing because every time it's so clear that people who enjoy programming get like they just get a lot out of coming together and just kind of communing and being in the same space 
and learning from each other and being exposed to languages and frameworks outside their whatever they're working in day to day. And I think just that experience of like setting aside that time and trying something new and connecting with other people who are in the same mindset is, I think it's really inspiring and valuable. And I have really valued the connections I've made with people who aren't in the Ruby and JavaScript and object-oriented programming communities. So, yeah. Yeah, we've, so we also run like a Vim meetup in some of the cities and the classical code reading group in Stockholm. And I've attended both of those kinds of events. And it's a similar feeling. It's like not everyone here is working on the same thing during their day job. So you have a much more diverse audience in terms of backgrounds and what you do on a day-to-day basis, but also like in terms of age and yeah. All gender, like gender. on every demographic is just, it's more diverse than a bunch of Ruby developers sitting in yes. a room together. Yeah, that's absolutely been my experience with this meetup. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun because of that. So is the uh, meetup changing at all? Is it, you know, is there any ways that you think it could be better or any plans that you have? Oh, uh, well, I would add that um, it's definitely spreading. Um, I've seen an uptick in people who write to me asking, you know, well, when is the next one happening? Perhaps, uh, you know, I lean too much on the initiative of people, but, you know, for me, given that it's been six years running, I've returned to solidly just recommending anybody who would like to see this happen uh, and make one happen. Um, I'm also very excited to see that it's been spreading internationally to different communities. Um, there's a Plovin Tagati group that's happened pretty consistently in Bath, England, Mm-hmm. which is like quite exciting to me. I've not been to Bath, uh, England, um, to my own detriment. So it's like so cool that, uh, you know, through the power of the internet, it's happening there um, and really anywhere anyone could want one to occur. What is the programming language that you've been meaning to try but haven't gotten around to yet that you're going to Oh, do? my gosh. Well, last time, as I discussed on the bike shed, I was learning Neo4j, which is a graph database technology. Um so I can't do that. I have to find something new. It's true. Uh, I would add in that after a couple of these, you run out of like, you know, the list of esoteric, the list becomes more esoteric every time. I think that actually there are a lot of JavaScript libraries and frameworks that I am interested in, but I haven't had a chance to try like React. Like I've right. heard a lot of good things. People are into React and Flux and I don't, I know I haven't had the opportunity to play around with it. So probably do that. Star, what is the programming language you've been meaning to try but haven't gotten around to yet? Oh my goodness. Uh, That's a great question. Um, One that I wish I had a more ready answer to. Um, (laughs) If I could instead, I'd I'd like to say, you know, what occurred to me just now on this call is that I think without Pliven Tagati, I don't think I would have dug into uh, Haskell, which is a language I had been meaning to try and hadn't gotten around to for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think without Pliven Tagati... even though I, you know, sort of had a crash course in scheme through my college education, I don't think the, you know, purported revelation of functional programming really came through until I started looking at Haskell. And I think that wouldn't have happened um, without Plum Degatti. So I would highlight that as a positive experience of a language I hadn't gotten around to and now have. Cool. I'm not going to be able to go because I'm in Boston. <laughs> but right. if I was, I think I'd probably do Go because I've, I've seen it, but I haven't used it yet. Mm-hmm. And 
It's really Perfect. interesting. And a lot of people have said that it's, that it's interesting. So I want to check it out. I did yeah. a has got into, uh, did some Haskell already, but that, that would definitely be on my list if I hadn't. So very, very cool. Um, what else? Oh, I wanted to ask Star about the upcoming changes to the website and how that's oh, yeah. progressing. <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, good question. Um, so that project is being aided along by uh, two fantastic people, including Connie at ThoughtBot, um, who are both volunteering their time. So that said, uh, I think the plans for the new website are quite exciting um, because, you know, I think that as Plum Degati spreads, I do get some emails from time to time where people, you know, ask that I update the website, which I'm more than happy to do, but I would prefer that I not be a bottleneck or that, you know, people who are throwing these not feel that they, you know, are stuck having to email some stranger on the internet and ask for a favor, um, which, you know, again, I don't mind at all, but uh, it should be easier than that. We have the technology. So uh, we're likely going to move to a system where you submit a pull request to just add your event to the website and then it can get like updated uh, much more easily yes i'm excited it sounds awesome so star if you don't mind um i understand that you're involved in an initiative with mit and boston university oh right the legal clinic for um involved might be an overstatement okay <laughs> um, but some people who i uh have the deepest admiration for are working uh to create a legal clinic at mit um total like other part of my life yeah but, so i um, changing gears <laughs> fair enough yeah for a uh, for a long time mit hasn't uh had any facilities to really help students who uh want legal advice of any kind whether that be um, because they have some sort of, you know, tricky thing to solve or whether they maybe even just want to start a startup and like, you know, want help working through uh, the legal side of that. So this initiative uh, is the launch of a clinic. It's a partnership between MIT and BU, as you said, that would uh, provide those services to students. So is the idea that, you know, it's specifically around technology legal stuff or is it any anything? I think that uh, it's not specifically about technology uh, legal services. I know that the uh, the EFF, for example, um, is involved with promoting it. Um, that it's a you know the Center for Civic Media at MIT is involved, which um, for you know, has a has a deep background in sort of like civic issues. Um, I don't know the specific mm -hmm. uh, boundaries of what they hope to provide or not provide off the cuff, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's okay. I will say that, like, I'm personally uh, so you know the reason I'm associated with that is I, uh, as a student, uh, got into a situation where I needed legal help, um, mm -hmm. and basically MIT provided uh, not only no support but negative support, mm -hmm. which was um, quite frustrating, and I think could have been a lot better. Which is why I am speaking to promote the creation of the legal clinic. Um, I think it is something that MIT absolutely needs and in many ways has uh, a moral responsibility to its community and to the greater intellectual world to provide that, um, you know, people who are creative and technical will create interesting things that may or may not be received in the intended light, mm -hmm. say, um, and who may end up needing uh, legal support. So, yeah, I mean... This is obviously, a, I think it's a really important issue. And it's only, to me, something that we run into in the world more and more, I think. I agree. And so, I mean, they didn't do the best in the past, obviously. 
But if they can get out in front of it and start to put those initiatives in place now, I think that that's headed in the right direction. It's so great to hear you say that and for you know people in the world to recognize that. You know, unfortunately, I would say that uh, I'm very optimistic about this clinic existing, but I don't think that it's going to be, you know, smooth sailing. Um, it's not clear that MIT as an institution necessarily believes in it the way that the tech community does. Um, and so I think that they have battles ahead in terms of seeing this through, um, which is why I was motivated to say what I, you know, what I could to support it because mm-hmm. I think it's so important. Yeah. And you, you, you spoke about this at the EFF Innovate summit, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's actually the, the Freedom to Innovate Summit, uh, which turned out to be kind of a launch for the clinic, mm-hmm. um, which was at the MIT Media Lab uh, this past weekend. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I don't want to, I think the EFF is great. And that's a really great organization that can be supporting this kind of thing, but they can't do it alone. Absolutely. Uh, I absolutely uh, agree on that. Cool. So speaking of creating things, I was going to ask you about some of the projects that you have listed on your website. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff there, both electrical engineering stuff as well oh, as just you. like sort of art slash metalworking kind of things. Sure. Um, do you do you do that stuff now that you're oh, a JavaScript programmer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that I'm a little embarrassed. I think my site is quite out of date and I don't know if I've added anything to it in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think generally I've been moving to being more creative in software than hardware. I started out very focused on hardware, and I think like that's something I'm less directly focused on now, um, like right at the present moment. But that said, uh, yeah, I do love creating things for people to use. I like making things that have you know never been seen before or that are useful or like inspire wonder. Um, that means a lot to me. Cool. So anything else you want to chat about? Oh, gosh. Um, well, thanks for like hosting this podcast. Thanks for promoting Plibin Tagati. Thanks for supporting it uh, as you have with your you know, use of your office and encouraging Lila to run these. Uh, I think that's been really, really great. Um, not just in a like, hey, that's cool that they're running Plibin Tagati's way, but like because it's clearly affected the programming community that a lot of other people have got a lot out of it. I think that's pretty neat. And for those who want to hear Lila talk a lot more about... I'm gonna, I thought I was going to go the whole <laughs> episode without having <laughs> to say it. it. <laughs> and I almost just said it. Uh, Plibman Tagati. Um, <laughs> <Nice. laughs> you were on the Bike Shed, which you've joined as a regular co-host. Can we say that? Yes. Um, I'm on the masthead now. So, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, I think it was episode 34. 34. Yeah, I think so. Yes, it is. Episode 34 of The Bike Shed, yeah, which is that's at bikeshed.fm, right. another ThoughtPod podcast. And Star, thank you very much for joining us. If people wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about you, what's the best way to do that? Um, well, uh, my website, starsimpson.com. My email, uh, hi, hi, at starsimpson.com works quite well. And Lila, if people wanted to get in touch with you or follow you, where they might, where might they do that? They can get in touch with me by email at lila at thoughtbot.com because I don't tweet that much. <laughs> uh, I should add, I do, I do tweet quite a lot um, at stars and robots works really well. <laughs> yes. So I am C. Pytel at thoughtbot. No, wait, what? 
What, what are you? I tell on Twitter. Uh, this was the Giant Robots Smashing Other Giant Robots episode 168. And you can check that out on the web at giantrobots.fm. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate us on iTunes. It really helps us out and tell your friends. And thank you very much. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you.